What's up, everyone? We're here for another episode of Locked On Bucks. Uh, we're around 24 hours away from game two in the second round series with the Boston Celtics, but we're still going to look back. We're going to look back at game one, some of the stuff we didn't get to in yesterday's post-game pod uh, rotations. What are the Celtics going to do with some of their lineups? Do they have any options? And the Bucks half-court offense is still potentially problematic. So we're going to get into all of that and more. So let's get started. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can see and hear me on the show Monday to Friday and on weekends post-game during the playoffs. You also find my other stuff over at ESPN. Joining me, as he always does, at least once a week, usually twice, depending on how much I can hassle him to come on the show. For the Bucks Radio Network, you can hear him pre-game, post-game, halftime on the radio, Justin Garcia. And uh, I just want to let everyone in on a little secret here. So it took me a while to get the intro video going there now uh, we do share this streaming account with a few other podcasts uh, one being locked on brewers which you should check that out uh, one being locked on pistons and i nearly i accidentally hit the intro video for locked on brewers which would have had our wisconsin yes. fans completely rattled so apologies for that but that's uh, just some insider info on uh on how we how we operate things here at uh, locked on bucks justin I've uh, well, I've been to a couple of games this year. Like, like this is the fastest or earliest I've been to a, a baseball game in like three or four years. So I could uh, I could hold my own for about two minutes if you wanted to get into Brewers, but then it would quickly uh, fizzle out. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't want to get into the Brewers unless we're talking sausage races, uh, those blue drinks that they have at the at the ballpark as well. I've I've had my fair share of those. But anyway, let's get back to the Bucks. And by the way. Thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listen of every day. Uh, YouTube, great numbers on yesterday's show. They're still going up. We we're a little bit late, so we probably missed out on the early crowd there. But if you missed the post-game pod, go check it out. Uh, and make sure you're commenting and having something to say on the video as well. That helps uh, That helps us with the video and the search and all those types of things. But it's also fun. I'm always in there uh, responding to you guys as well. So, Justin, I spoke with Frank about this game. Everyone's heard my broad thoughts on this game but 24 hours on you've probably watched it again or watched bits and pieces of this game again uh what stands out to you uh from game one um i think um one what, what everybody would point to is just how incredible the bucks defense was and how incredible um i thought wesley matthews and brooke lopez especially were in, in what they were able to accomplish and also you know, before we started recording, we were kind of talking about our thoughts coming into the series, and I was very concerned. I think Frank and I, and that's not to say the series is over, obviously, but I, I was very concerned and thought margin for error is really slim here. So you got to capitalize and, and you got to win on the margins there a lot. And I was very surprised with how the Bucks came out in game one because, as, as we know, that's been the area where they've struggled most under Bud. And it's kind of two things rolled into one of 
haven't really played well on those noon tips, and they haven't really played well in game one. And, oh, by the way, you need shot creators against Boston, and you don't have maybe your best in, in the half court. So I didn't have high expectations for the early part of the series. I thought when it came back to Milwaukee, that's where the Bucks would have a chance to make this a series again. So for them to come out and play the way they did, you were kind of reminded of, oh, yeah, the Bucks are the champions, and they, they won last year that they've gone through this stuff that, that Boston hasn't. And I think if you had questions about the Celtics half court coming into this or, or just their offense in general, they didn't go away after what happened in game one. So uh, we all expect to see a lot of adjustments, but you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know that it's going to be anything drastic here. It's just going to come down to Jason Tatum having to take over, certainly getting them some easy shots, but you know, I, I was, I guess the biggest takeaway is I was struck by, they didn't really work to get Jason Tatum a, a whole lot of good looks, that there wasn't a whole lot of two-man game or pick and roll. And I would imagine we're going to see a lot of that in game two. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think, and this is typically what happens, and there was a lot of stats going around about the road team when they win game one. It it actually, historically, in, in, not certainly good. in recent times, yeah, it doesn't mean a lot. And we've seen it before. We saw it the last time the Bucks played the Celtics where it, it changed dramatically. And there's a lot of weird scenarios that play into game ones. Uh, we talk about the Bucks having a few days off, but the Celtics had even longer. Um, so there's a number of factors. And typically with this game two now, you're going to have to weather a storm. And we can think about it last year with the Bucks as well. They lose game one to Atlanta. That was a shock. The next game, it was virtually over by the end of the first period. So look, the Bucks are going to have to weather a storm. The Celtics spoke about the fact that uh, they were shocked by the physicality of the Bucks. I'm kind of surprised that they actually said that. that yeah. Because it was no surprise that that was the way that the Bucks were going to play. But perhaps what they mean is, and Frank kind of pointed to this, uh, they've come off a relatively soft defensive series and uh, a series that was actually really, really competitive. It was about as competitive as a sweep can be, but certainly on the defensive side of the ball, for guys like Tatum and guys like Jalen Brown and all these players, didn't have to work all that hard to get their shots. And so, you know, the, the all of a sudden, then you're getting full court pressure from Drew Holiday, from Javon Carter and these players. So I do think there is something to be said that the Celtics probably got a little bit of a wake-up call. Now, the question is, do they actually have an answer to the physicality? That's what remains to be seen. But I, you know, the, they'll, they'll understand what's coming in game two. You know, what's funny is... Um... Yeah, and I took it as I'm sure part of it was it, it. We saw the same thing with the Bucks. What three years ago when they played the Celtics the first time that you blew through the Pistons and won that series yeah. by a hundred points, and then you get the Celtics. And granted, you won it in five, but it was much different to go from the Pistons to the Celtics in Game One of that series. So I'm sure part of it was that, but I, I think also part of it was Boston legitimately thought they were the tougher team. And we're going to be able to be physical because you could do that against Brooklyn. And then to come out in game one and see, oh, well, maybe at best we're as tough <laughs> as this team. But, you know, that that's the extent of it. And you know, just talking before about I, I was kind of not kind of I was very surprised by how the Bucks were able to dictate everything. And Boston, we saw in the second half, they were running some of those Spain pick and rolls to try and get Jason Tatum better looks and, and to to not a whole lot of success, but I would imagine we're going to see a lot of that. But I've, I've also seen a few people point to, well, what do you do differently if you're the Celtics? 
and it's things like that. And, you know, to try and get uh, whoever Brooke Lopez is defending, if that's Robert Williams, if it's Daniel Tice, if he's on the floor, whoever it is, get them in the pick and roll to get him matched up onto, onto Jason Tatum. But part of it is the Bucks were incredible and, and have been now throughout the playoffs at fighting through those screens and staying with their guy that I, I don't know that you can count on that for success. And also one of the other things kicked around was, I think it was Nate Duncan that mentioned, well, what if you change the lineup and you change how you use Robert Williams and you bring him off the bench when Brooke Lopez leaves? I mean, sure, but then you're limiting his minutes and, and you're also allowing the Bucks to just totally bully you. I get that if you play smaller, you can theoretically spread them out more, but as we've seen with the point of defense there from Drew and from Wesley Matthews and everybody else, uh, the Bucks are more than fine with living with, if the Celtics are going to spread them out, depending on who it is, go ahead, like take that three. If it means Al Horford and Grant Williams, if that's who moves in the starting lineup is getting those looks, they're not going to care. So I, I just see that as an advantage for the Bucks, a major one. Yeah. Th- this is really interesting because I think the, the Rob Williams stuff is the lineup question mark for the Celtics moving forward. Uh, and I want to keep getting into that because I do think it's really interesting. But I also think prize picks is really interesting. So NBA fans, if you're looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA, then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and uh, we know you will too. Now, I'll just give you a little bit of an explanation here of what we're dealing with with Prize Picks. So you pick two to five players and an over and under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. So in game one, if you had Giannis 20-plus points, you're feeling pretty good. If you had Drew Holiday 20-plus points, you're feeling good. Bobby Portis, 10-plus points, you're feeling good. Uh, Bobby Portis, a double-double machine, by the way, in the postseason. Keep that in mind. Uh, and uh, it's just you versus the projected numbers, as I mentioned there. It uh, price picks offers safe and offers fast withdrawals and uh, uses the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. So it offers any prop you can think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals as well. Steals a big factor in game one. Price picks allows uh, mixed sports entries as well. We were talking about the Brewers, but if you want to do some Bucks and Brewers combinations, you can do that. And uh, as I mentioned, it's not just NBA, NFL when it's around, MLB, soccer, all those types of things as well. So Price picks has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all our users. Users get 50 bucks for free. If a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Lockdown fans. Sign up today and use the code NBA for 50 bucks free. If a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, uh, that's prize picks daily fantasy made easy. So Rob Williams, and this was a big talking point when we did the crossover pod, because uh, again, you know, you talk about a guy defensively that has probably snuck up on a lot of people and um, maybe there's not a widespread awareness of what he can do on the defensive end, his versatility, how he moves, how he can block shots. But on offense, we've seen time and time again, if you've got a big man that isn't going to shoot the ball, the Bucks are not going to be too worried about you. Now, the difference with Rob Williams, though, is he is a genuine lob threat. And we have seen, going back a couple of seasons even, where if you have that lob threat, I'm thinking about guys like you know, Trey Young, for instance, that's had some big games against the Bucks with a guy like Capella, who doesn't shoot, but he's been able to be a factor. But I think 
you know, when it comes to Brooke Lopez, one of the things that's underrated because everyone around the league plays drop coverage and everyone talks about it. And it's one of the most easiest uh, you know, defensive strategies to say, okay, okay, that's what they're, that's what they're playing. But Brooke Lopez does it better than anyone in terms of being able to stay attached to the big man and also recover and contest a shot if it's a floater, if it's a mid-range shot. And Rob Williams was really just an absolute non-factor on the offensive end yesterday. Now, whether or not that continues to be the case, we will see. But the Bucs are winning if they take Rob Williams out of the lineup because they need him in there for yeah. Giannis on the other end of the floor because the Bucs don't have many creators in this lineup anymore. And we saw, even if you look yesterday, the Bucs were plus 23 in Giannis' 38 minutes, which means in the 10 minutes he was off the floor, they were outscored by 11 points. That's going to be the key to the series. Giannis, can you stay out of foul trouble, first of all, so you can play 40 minutes a night, and then it's going to be damage control when Giannis is off the floor. But yeah, for all the talk of Al Horford did a decent job, he did, but Rob Williams was lurking around, and these other guys helping uh, once Giannis does get by, Al Horford is the key. So I can understand why there might be some thoughts about taking Rob Williams off, but if you do, I think that's a massive win down the other end of the floor. It's a huge win, and uh, I mean, look, it, it's not Daniel Tice that that you would play more. I mean, he played four minutes in game one, and I mean, just going down the line here, if, if you take Robert Williams out there and uh, you, you try to kind of stack where you play him differently, if that means more minutes for Grant Williams, or I saw somebody else suggest Derek White, I mean, again, these are areas, if you're the Bucs, you, you would say, perfect put two more guys that are in that group of players that we're willing to concede open looks to. And that's just going to help the Bucks defense even more. So if I'm Boston, it's, we got to play with the same starting five, but we've just got to, whether it's, you know, running the two man game with Rob Williams and uh, Jason Tatum or, or what it is, we've got to get Jason Tatum freed up or make more of an effort to get him freed up and, and get him into his rhythm a lot more. But, you know, the other part of it too, and, and I wouldn't anticipate this to change is the Bucks picking the Celtics up full length of the floor seemed to really throw them off and startle them as well. And if you're doing that, I mean, we, we saw that at times last year against the Nets too. If you're doing that, you're taking eight seconds or seven seconds off of the shot clock for them to get into things and the Bucs already getting their defense set. I mean, that is a major advantage for the Bucs as well. So, you know, to me, I, I talked about this with somebody else earlier on the radio today. The defense is what you can expect going forward for the Bucs. Like this is going to be the defense they're going to keep playing. It's just, are the results going to be the same? And and I fully expect Celtics were what, 18 of 50, 18 of 50 from three. I fully expect they're going to have a game where they hit 20 or 24 threes and, Al Horford or Marcus Smart or somebody is going to hit seven threes and that's going to be a game that they win but the Bucs are more than willing to say okay that's going to happen once maybe it happens twice the rest of the time this defense is going to prevail and look I, I don't want to <laughs> well people that listen to this podcast and have for a long time know that I, I really don't talk about officials a lot and most of the time I say yeah, for a game like yesterday I thought there was missed calls both ways I like that I'll, style of basketball but the one I'll, thing that go on well, no, I, I, just, I was just going to say, the one thing that struck me about officiating yesterday, I agree, that it went both ways. It was just so inconsistent from quarter to quarter <laughs> of what you were allowed to do, and then the next quarter it's officiated differently. Yeah, no question. But the one thing that was very noticeable was the Celtics' constant, 
complaining. Uh, they seem very distracted by the officials throughout this game. Uh, there was a lot of flopping going on. I mentioned Marcus Smart. He was diving all over the floor. The most hilarious one was under the basket, and I went back and watched it last night uh, where I don't know what Javon Carter did. Maybe a pinky in his back, and Marcus Smart went flying forward and then pointed at Javon Carter like he just attacked him from behind. But the officials will play a part yeah. in this series because of that physicality and because of the way Drew Holiday wants to defend and and the way Giannis wants to defend and also Giannis's physicality and sometimes putting his hands where they shouldn't be, using his body the way he probably shouldn't use it. And the Bucks just simply cannot afford those guys in foul trouble, extended foul trouble. Drew Holiday picked up the two early fouls. That looked like a huge danger moment for Milwaukee in the first quarter. They were able to withstand that. Uh, but Giannis getting in foul trouble as well could have cost the Bucks. And I already spoke about the fact they were minus 11 in the time that he was off the floor. Uh, but we should give the Bucks some credit for the final 337 of the third quarter. The Bucks were up by six at the time. Giannis gives away that awful foul. It was a dumb foul, yeah. He's annoyed at himself. You could see that. Bud is annoyed at him. You could see that. Uh, but the Bucks were able to withstand it. And they went into the final quarter up by eight. So there were plus two in those final... Uh, 337. I think it was plus two, plus two, plus three. Yep. Anyway, yep. Uh, in the final 337, which quite honestly was one of the most important stretches of the game. I thought the two biggest stretches of the game were that. And then as crazy as it is to suggest, you already mentioned you're going to have to withstand charges in, or I guess withstand runs of the teams is um, in the first quarter. It was the Celtics up by seven or eight where it, it really felt yeah. like at times – it could have been teetering, and the, the garden was about to explode when Jalen Brown had that put-back dunk over Giannis. Yeah. I think that made the margin seven, but then the Bucks just quietly went on a 10 to nothing run and took a three-point lead in the quarter, which in the blink of an eye, the Celtics went from having all the energy and up by seven to thinking, okay, there's been a lot of turnovers. The Bucks could be wobbly here to the Bucks are opening up the second quarter in front. Yeah, Pat Connaughton hit a big three, and by the way, Bobby he didn't Portis, shoot the ball. Yeah. Bobby Portis, yeah. And Pat didn't shoot the ball all that well uh, in the first round series, but he did knock down a couple uh, late in the series. And you're like, okay, maybe it's starting to turn for him a little bit. He's been so reliable, but you're right. Uh, When you're playing on the road, particularly, being able to hit those uh, threes, those momentum-killing threes are just huge. And uh, the big reason for that, if you're not knocking down those threes, uh, then they generate transition possessions. And we saw in this game, this was a big talking point for the Celtics as well, was the fact that uh, the Bucks were able to score heavily off turnovers. And and that will be a key moving forward because, as we mentioned, uh, the half-court offense for both teams was absolutely horrific in this game, which is exactly why and I was talking to a few people in the YouTube comments about this after that I said, uh, you know, I, I hope the Bucks go and sweep this series. I would love that. That would be absolutely yeah. fantastic. But I just think that there was enough on the offensive end, which we might get to, uh, now to just say, okay, this is some of the concerns we had coming into the series. How do the Bucs uh, rectify that? But I mentioned yesterday the Bucs now favorites in the East. It's incredible the way things changed after just one game, but you can get all the odds at betonline.net. Uh, it's your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can also check out the series between Miami and Philadelphia. Miami, heavy favorites in that series. We just saw game one. As we're recording this, no Joel Embiid. And Justin, DeAndre Jordan, to the surprise of none, 
<laughs> Not the difference maker in this series. Doc Rivers oh. really sticking to his guns, Justin. DeAndre Jordan, to the surprise of none, that have followed Doc Rivers, playing heavy minutes in this game, I think you would point out. Old friends, Doc and DJ. But if you do believe that the Sixers are a chance in this series, Joel Embiid, maybe he's going to play in game three. We'll see. You can get all the odds, props, and everything else uh, you need uh, regarding NBA playoffs at betonline.net, as well as uh, other sports, esports, baseball, hockey. I know you're a hockey man, Justin. Every other sport you can find what's going on. Just head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, offensively, uh, look, we know Giannis was 9 for 25. As we mentioned on yesterday's podcast, uh, you know, you'd love to knock down a few more of those those layups there for Giannis, certainly those shots around the basket, and he probably will. It's Giannis. It's pretty rare uh, when he has those types of nights that they continue uh, for multiple games in a row. Uh, what else can they do offensively, though? Because you know, the Bucks are always better with Giannis on the floor, and I know I've harped on the, the plus-minus a little bit here, but... It, particularly in this series where you know, previously you at least have Chris Milton to keep the scoreboard ticking over if you need to to find a basket when things get sticky. And you know, we have to give Bobby Portis a lot of credit because some of those some of those sort of post-up baseline possessions that he got, and he's just been knocking down that shot. And this is the benefit of having a bigger lineup as well. A lot of the times he was on Jalen Brown, who's an excellent defender, and Bobby Portis was just like, I'm literally too big. I can get this shot. But... You know, He's been saving the bucks with some of these some of these buckets that he's been getting. Um, you would love to see Milwaukee able to perhaps generate some easier scores. And Brook Lopez is the easy guy to point to who could be a factor. Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest, Brook Lopez. But I mean, also it, it it it's part of that too. Depending on the matchups, I think it's just feeding Bobby more because he's the mm-hmm. guy. When you talk about the absence of Chris Middleton, he may not be the first one that comes to mind just because of the position he plays. But to me, he's the guy um, you have that could best replicate some of those things Chris does from where he gets his shot off. And as we've seen, you know, when he's facing the basket like that, Bobby's just a bucket, and, and especially if he has a smaller guy on him. And if it's Jalen Brown, as we saw a couple of times in this series, whoever the matchup is, we saw it against the Bulls too when DeMar DeRozan was the guy defending him. Bobby has that advantage. He's going to be able to score. So I think the two that would make the most sense would be just uh, getting into Bobby Portis more and uh, Brooke Lopez, certainly what what he's been able and, and capable of giving you offensively, especially the last, uh, what, like week of the regular season and, and how he looked at times against the Bulls. He's certainly capable of giving you some of that as well. I, I also think it's interesting to see some of the comments that came out of uh, Celtics practice earlier today from Ime Udoka over uh, how they kind of viewed game one and some of the things they could potentially do. And, and I saw, um, I don't remember if it was Udoka or uh, one of their players mentioning what Udoka said, but basically the insinuation of, yeah, we felt like we kind of, we doubled Giannis too quickly. So now we are willing to just wait and be more deliberate about how we do that and and not send the help quite as quickly with the fear of, well, that left Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen and the other shooters open. And, and he was great at making that pass and those reads. And part of me thinks it's it's kind of like what the Bucks have, have been willing to bet on here in this series and saying, 
okay, if Grant Williams has an open look, if Peyton Pritchard has an open look, fine. Like, we don't think they're going to shoot better than 30%. If the Celtics do that for a majority of the game tomorrow, I think that's a major advantage for the Bucs because if Giannis is not facing those doubles, I think back to that series three years ago when it was the same thing, and that was at the height of Al Horford is the Giannis stopper. And as that series went on, you could see Giannis figured out how to play against Al Horford more and more. And to me, one of the moments that stood out yesterday was I think it was the third quarter, and it was the sequence where Drew Holiday was matched up on, on Al, and he took him all the way to the basket and scored on him rather easily. And it's things like that where you can see, okay, Drew did this, and Giannis just learns from those things, and that triggers things for him too, that I think if, if the Celtics hold off on doubling and say we want to stay home on some of those shooters – Wesley Matthews is a guy that you're willing to sag off of more, but we want to stay home on Grayson Allen and Bobby and whoever else it is. And we're going to hesitate doubling Giannis till it gets a little later there. I think he's going to be able to go to work and I think he's going to figure out how to attack. And especially if, if Robert Williams isn't on the floor or uh, isn't, you know, looking like the guy he looked like in the first quarter defensively, that's going to be a major advantage for the Bucs and for Giannis, and that's a way to offset some of those half-court struggles. The Drew Holiday uh, drive on Horford was kind of funny because at the time, as you mentioned, I mean, he did score pretty easily, and we know that Drew can do that. He loves being physical. He loves playing that bully ball style, I guess, if you want to call that for a guard. And I was like, why does Drew do that so easily? Giannis, <laughs> take this old man and put him under the basket. But... Uh, to your point about the doubles, and and I read some of that stuff as well, and I, I found it really interesting because I do think there's something to be said for just at least seeing what Giannis is going to do in one-on-one. Yeah, Is he going to be baited into shooting those turnarounds all night long or jump shots? Uh, but the other point is that some of the doubles, if I'm Boston, some of the doubles were coming from the man directly next to to Giannis. So it's like, it, if you're going to make Giannis pass out of a double, like at least make it difficult. Yeah. And if you're defending Grayson Allen on the right wing and Giannis has a ball on the right baseline and you help off Grayson Allen and he literally just has to pass it a couple of feet to his right and it's an open three, then yeah, you're asking for trouble. So I, I just thought they needed to be a bit more strategic with when the doubles were coming, where they were coming from. But Giannis is so smart right, right now that he's probably he, he's able to make that sort of cross court pass to the corner as well, with, with you know relatively relatively accurate there as well. But um, the other point is, if you're going to go one on one with Giannis, then how are the Bucks able to use the utilize the guy that's in the dunker spot a little bit because he should be able to get to the paint easy enough. And then is he going to score? Because the help will eventually come. It's Giannis that everyone's drawn into trying to stop him at the rim. So when it does come, is he able to dump it off? Are they able to use Brook Lopez? There was a couple of times in game one where and we've seen it throughout the year with smaller lineups when Brook is out there, but they literally just throw the ball up. And Brook almost, it's, it's almost like he doesn't even jump. He just sticks yeah. his hands up, catches the ball and lays it in. So can they utilize his size if the Celtics do decide to go uh, a little bit small as well. So I, I think there's options there, but I do think the Bucs are going to have to get a little bit more creative. Um, and the reality is uh, they are going to have to rely on the three-point shot and they're going to have to hope that they have a pretty good series shooting the ball uh, if they want to generate uh, those points there. Now, they weren't 
red hot from three in game one. First half, really good. Second half, they cooled off. But 101 points, maybe in this series, that'll be a winning score. Generally, it's not, but we'll see. I, there were still some concerns. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, not to be a homer, but the, the really you encouraging part You could do it. You, you won the game, and you made two threes in the second half. That Yes, yeah. you, you look at the first half, and uh, they were, what, I think 10 of 20 on threes in the first half. And certainly that's what you would point to and say, okay, this isn't totally sustainable. They were relatively good looks and open threes that they were taking because of some of the doubles on Giannis. But still, you're not going to shoot 50% in all likelihood for the game. So they went 2 of 14 in the second half. Um, they just, again, were even more incredible in, in saying, okay, you're not getting anything inside the, the two-point line. And I think the most alarming thing, if if you're the Celtics, is this Bucks team had a pretty good uh, like training ground for this, I guess I would say. It's it's obviously not quite as good, but you know, going five-game series against Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan – that's a pretty good on-ramp for what you're going to do against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Now, obviously, you you trust the, the the shooters and the players around those two more with the Celtics than you do with the Bulls. But still, that's a pretty close to like-for-like like in terms of what you can expect from offensive shot profile. So the Bucs got a pretty good sense of training in that first-round matchup. And as we said at the start, Celtics had nowhere near that with just a bad Brooklyn Nets team. And those were still competitive games that 16 points decided the four game series or 18, whatever it was. I mean, when you look at the Celtics offensive and defensive rating in the playoffs too, it's basically a net rating of zero that they've been around 110 on both sides of the ledger, just nowhere near what they were in the regular season, especially from January onward. And yeah, the Bucks dominated them statistically there in game one, but that doesn't bode well for how you looked by the numbers in a four game sweep against the Brooklyn Nets. So I think this was really helpful uh, for the Bucks to get that training out of the way. And you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I think it was two mid range shots combined that they attempted in this game. And these are both guys that average, you know, about a third of their shots are coming from the mid range. So that was the big point of contention with this drop defense for a while is too many threes and too many of those mid range shots. But what we've seen is, you know, one area that we may have really undervalued here coming into the series is the the offenses that gave the Bucks the most problems when they were running that was not so much just those that had those guys like DeRozan and Jason Tatum that can get those tough mid-range shots. But you also need the point guard that's going to make things difficult and is going to hit those shots. Marcus Smart is not that guy. So even if you get Marcus Smart going in a two-man game, you're going to let Marcus Smart take those shots. And as crazy as it is to say, it was when you had, you know, years ago with Boston, with Campbell Walker, who, for all the flaws that he does have, he can get to that spot and hit those shots that puts the stress on that drop defense. So I do think that's a big area that's playing into the Bucks' hand of, if this is the guy that's initiating the offense, we're not concerned with him. So, so we can press up a little more and just take Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's mid-range game out of it altogether. Yeah, Marcus Smart's been credited, um, you know, a lot 
uh, for sort of the turnaround on on offense. We know what he's done defensively, but the turnaround on offense as a playmaker and as a as a point guard for this team. Uh, if you remember in their struggles early in the season, all the talking points were this team needs a point guard desperately. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do know is playoff defense is obviously different to the regular season. Uh, the Bucks' defense is clearly different in the postseason. I thought we saw enough evidence during the regular season in big games, particularly in the fourth quarter when the Bucks said, okay, let's ramp this up now. Let's get physical. Let's play the way we want to play defense. We saw it. Uh, but the reality is the way that the Bucks played defense in game one against Boston is absolutely not sustainable during the regular season. You could not do that night in, night out. So uh, we saw him ramp it up last year in the postseason. We've seen it over the last few playoff games here after a pretty uh, scratchy start. So we'll see. It seems sustainable to me with the players that they have, uh, but we'll see if they can carry it through. Now, go go ahead. You go, what, do you, what do you got? No, I, I was just going to echo that. Uh, I, I Like I said, I think this defense is sustainable, the the results probably aren't. And, and that's not to yeah, say yeah. things drastically turn around, but like we said at the top, I mean, there's going to be at least one game where the Celtics hit 20 or, or 23, 24 threes, and they win the game by that. So, but, but I don't think that's going to force the Bucs to drastically alter. And I, I think they look at what happened in game one of this series and say, okay, that's, this is everything we thought would happen. We know it's, it's, it's not going to be those same results every single game. But we think a majority of these games, this is what's going to happen, and this is on our side. Yeah, and as you know, this is always the case with <laughs> with three point shooting. Uh, if the Celtics hit a bunch of threes yesterday, then the talking point would be that the Bucks defense has problems. Uh, they didn't hit threes, so the talking point is the Bucks defense is absolutely elite. This is the game, and if you make shots, uh, you're going to you, you'll change the the course of the game and the narrative and the talking points and everything like that. But the point is. When teams, as Frank keeps pointing at the start, I think it's 10 and 1 or 11 and 1 when teams shoot 50 plus threes. So, yeah. uh, look, the Bucks, for the most part, uh, choose the guys who they want to be shooting those volume threes. Although, the other interesting thing, I, I guess, that kind of reaffirms this if you're a Bucks fan, is the uh, everybody that came to love this last year when you're clinging to hope in the Net series and the Sun series, the shot quality Twitter account. Um, they still had the Bucks winning the game yesterday. I think it was something like 103-99 or something. The margin was obviously closer, but based on the shot quality that they that each team took, they still said, yeah, the Bucks win this game, you know, nine times out of 10 or whatever it is, that they took the better quality shots. And the shooters that they gave up those open looks to, those were better quality uh, looks defensively for the Bucks than they were offensive looks for the Celtics. All right. Let's wrap this up. A uh, bit of a programming note tomorrow. Uh, at this stage, I'm traveling. Which, by the way, I haven't been near an airport. I haven't been in a plane. I haven't left the state that I live in since I came home from Milwaukee in 2020 when the NBA shut down and I came home to Australia for what I thought was a, a month and I would be yeah. moving back to Milwaukee. So. Uh, I actually won't be able to watch this game live, or I won't. Be, I'll, I might be able to watch the game live, but I won't be able to do a post-game pod. But the good news is that Frank will be there, and Camille will be there. And the big question is, can Camille keep Frank under control? <laughs> That's that is the question that we will find out the answer to post-game pod. I can't wait to listen. I'll be listening. I'll be watching. <laughs> That's for sure, with great intrigue. But hopefully, 
the Bucks are 2-0 up by that point in time. But they'll be back for the post-game pod, so make sure you check it out. Uh, if you haven't checked us out on YouTube, uh, make sure you do that. Hit subscribe and all those types of things. We really appreciate it. Justin, enjoy the call tomorrow. Hopefully it's a happy post-game show. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope so. All right. Like I said, post-game show tomorrow. We'll be back. I'll be back the day after as we keep rolling through the week. The Bucks and Celtics will speak to you guys then. Peace.